0: Well, happy Easter to everyone. Man, what a great day we got today to celebrate and rejoice in. I'm, I'm excited about uh, the word the Lord has for us today. We are not changing our focus. We're still looking at, at the character of Christ as revealed in the activity of Christ, and the relationships that Christ has, encounters that he has, uh, in the Gospels with uh, different people that he comes across. Last week, we looked at, at the cross of Christ uh, we looked at it from, of all places, from the, the view of the thief on the cross who none of us really, I, I would guess, if I would asked you before the service last week who you would have related to in the Easter story or the crucifixion story, that probably would not have been anybody's choice. It wouldn't have been my choice uh, until last week, and I saw the beauty of what God was revealing to us through the story and his in interaction on the cross with a thief hanging next to him. I hope all week long that that truth, the truth of that relationship and that encounter that the thief had with Jesus has rung true in your heart and your mind. I know a lot of you have mentioned that this week, how, how God has used that to help you to know how to look at Easter, uh, how to look at the crucifixion of Christ and look at it differently. I want to start there today and remind us of that, and then I want to go go into something that Jesus says on the cross, and we're going to come out of Hebrews today to talk about, about joy. Um, of all things to talk about again at Easter is that Jesus takes joy in us, and a lot of us, you know, I had an encounter with a guy this week that I haven't seen for 18 years. He called me up, or actually I saw him on Facebook and he had a message on Facebook that he was wanting to not have another Easter where he feels bitterness towards God. Uh, and this guy was, at the time, wanting to go in the mission field. When, when we knew him back in 18 years ago, that was his goal, was to be a missionary. Uh, he was pursuing that and trying to, to get a degree and get prepared for that. And now I see him on Facebook 18 years later saying that he is trying to avoid bitterness at Easter. And so we met uh, Friday this week, and the story that he began to unfold for me was a story of works. It was a story of wearing himself out, trying to be somebody that God would be pleased in. It was a story of effort after effort, of one example after another example of trying to be good enough that God would be pleased with him, that God would finally bless him with some things that he had been asking God for, feeling like God hasn't been hearing him all, the, all those years speaking and asking God for these things and and he went on for an hour and a half before I said a word. I just listened to one example after another example of how he had tried to make something happen by impressing God with his goodness, and that his call to the mission field was a call to that he was taking because he wanted God to be pleased with him, and so he he 's had all these struggles for eighteen years he 's been struggling and finally came to the point where he can 't come to a service. On an Easter Sunday, without feeling bitterness towards God, y'all with me today, church? Here's what I here's what I want to say as we move forward. I don't want us to miss last Sunday's message. I really believe that God wants us to identify ourselves as a thief on the cross, the one that that Jesus had an encounter with that had nothing to bring to the table. He didn't have any religious experience to bring to the table. He was nothing. He was a nobody. He was a thief, and he identifies himself as that. He says, you know, he he calls out to the other thief who is trying to get Jesus to take him off the cross and prove himself, and and he says, we deserve what we're getting. We are guilty. And realizing that they were guilty, they had nothing to offer, and then crying out to Christ and saying that he's done nothing wrong, realizing the perfection of Christ, and then saying uh, to Jesus, Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And then hearing a reply from Christ, today you will be with me in paradise. And he didn't have the ability to come down off the cross and do something to earn it. He had done nothing prior to that encounter with Jesus and he could do nothing after his encounter with Christ. And after being received by Christ and after being promised by Jesus that that day he would be with him in paradise. That's the message that we need to receive, church. We need to hear what God is saying there. Does that mean that we don't have a righteous life? No. It means a righteous life that we have is the fruit of, of us bringing emptiness to God and his spirit filling us and giving us fruit of the spirit rather than giving us fruit that we can build up ourselves, things that we can work on ourselves. I really believe for this young man that I met with this week that, that God has been trying to get him to the end of himself. So that when God does bless him, it's going to be God and he will realize it. So the story of Easter, the story of the crucifixion of Christ is one where we find ourselves crucified with Christ. Literally, that we are, we have nothing to bring and so we give our sins to him. He takes them on himself. That he dies with our sins. And that he leaves them in the grave. And he, and he raises to life. I want to read a passage out of John. Uh, before we get into Hebrews just so that we can can hear again about the resurrection of Christ. In John chapter 20, I want to read verses 1 through 18 to get the story on our mind today and then we're going to go to, to Hebrews chapter 12. But here's what happened. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, sorry to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, And stooping in and looking, stooping to look in He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen uh, cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths or cloths, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, uh, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there uh, where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and and, and that he had said these things to her. So the truth of today is that Jesus didn't remain in the grave. He's risen. I don't know if any of you have seen the case for Christ this week. A great movie for all of you, who uh, who have uh, philosophical, uh, have talked philosophically with people about Christ and intellectually with people about Christ. Here's a a story of a man who was a uh, investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, an atheist who's who was a a brainiac who couldn't believe in Christ and called people that believed in Christ. small-brained thinkers, and yet he found in his investigation to try and prove Christ did not rise from the dead, that it was indisputable uh, by the evidence given that he had risen from the dead. Not only that he had risen, but that he had actually died. That he went to the doctors and medically, they said that, that when they pierced his side and water and blood flowed together, that means that he was dead. That only happens when people are dead. So it wasn't that he was not dead that he did die, in fact, and he rose from the dead. Science can't disprove that. There's so much evidence that Christ really did die and rise from the dead, but today's message is not about facts. Today's message is about the love of Christ and the character, character of Christ that's revealed in the Easter story. And so I want us to look at it from this perspective. What is it that Christ was doing on the cross What was he trying to communicate to us in a way that would change us, in a way that would cause us to to see the truth of who he is, in a way that would, seeing him in this way would cause us to love him more deeply and to respond to him with with lives of obedience and faith? And I think in Hebrews we get a little picture of that. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, and this was in reference, by the way, just the introduction to this passage that we want to look at is in reference to Hebrews 11 which is a great faith chapter it talks about faith and that you know it's impossible to please God without faith and what is faith faith is the substance of things hoped for for the evidence of things not seen and then he goes through this roll call of faith of all the great men and women of faith in history and talks about faith and what it is and then he says this therefore since we are surrounded by by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, those who have gone before us as people of faith, then let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, and here's the focus today, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now why would I choose that passage? Mainly because it describes to us why Jesus did what he did. This idea of Jesus being the founder and perfecter of our faith. One of the things that Jesus was doing on the cross. Was he was demonstrating for us and experiencing for us. The kind of faith that it would take for us to come to know God. The kind of faith that it would take for us to be able to have our joy and, our, and find our contentment in Christ. When he was on the cross, he demonstrated that for us. Our faith originated with Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. I want to take us there today. A faith, the faith that Jesus had prior to the cross was this kind of faith. Jesus had never disobeyed his father, not one time. And As we know that, you know, through all all of the passages on abiding and as we've talked about over and over again, that when you obey Christ, you come to know him because he reveals himself to you. And Jesus was the perfect picture of that. He never disobeyed his father, so he had a perfect understanding of who the father was. He had a good understanding of also who we are because he had lived his life In this world, he became one of us so that he could become our high priest and help us to understand how to do life and live for us an example of a perfect disciple of the Father. He gave us that. But Jesus is experiencing something on the cross that he's never experienced before. When Jesus is on the cross, he has to operate in faith in what's going to happen. He has faith in the Father based on the character that he has understood about the Father in his 33 years of living life. He walked with God perfectly throughout his life, and now he's going to have to draw on those experiences. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So he's learning something on the cross. What was Jesus trusting about the Father As he endured the cross. He had to trust that the father was going to complete the plan that he had. That the father would ultimately accomplish this goal of bringing salvation to the world. Of using the life of Christ and making something worthwhile out of it. But the scripture that we read says that it was for the joy that was set before him. That Jesus endured the cross. In The Abiding Cycle, we talk about the fact that when Christ reveals himself to us, that Jesus gave us those, and we'll read this again in a minute for us, but that that Jesus gave us that commandment to abide in him so that his joy might be in us and so our joy might be made complete. The ultimate goal of Christ on the cross was that, that he could give us joy and that he could take joy in us. And how would he accomplish that? On the cross, Jesus prays this prayer to his father, one of the few words that he says from the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, uh, verse 45 and 46, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemasakmathini, which means my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out from the cross, "My God, My God, why have why have you forsaken me?" Now there's all kinds of arguments on all sides of theology related to that one statement. Did Jesus really? Did God the Father really turn his back on his son? Did that happen? There's some good arguments for that, or is it just the way that Jesus was in his humanity, feeling about the Father? And there's good arguments for that. And I'm not going with arguments today because we're not talking about theology. But we are talking about what was Christ saying that we can understand from that cross today. Here's what we know. Regardless of whether the father actually turned his back on himself. I don't know how that happens. The Godhead is three in one. How does that happen? Or whether he was feeling as, as a human being that his father, when Jesus took our sins on himself had turned his back on him. The truth of the matter is, Jesus felt like the Father was not present. He felt for the first time in his life that the Father was not present, that the Father was, had turned his back on him that, that God was not with him, that, he didn't, that the Father wasn't taking joy in him, that, that the Father wasn't pleased with him. For the first time in his life, all of his life, he had always obeyed the Father. And all of his life, the joy of the Father was in him, and he had joy in the Father. And for the first time in his life, he feels abandoned by the Father. Now, why would that happen? Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He stayed on the cross and obeyed his father. Even though he could have, could have called 10,000 angels to remove him from the cross, he stayed there for us. And for the first time in his life, he had to put his joy in the father. He had to trust in the joy that would happen later. It says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So he's on the cross feeling the pain of separation from God. And he's for the, for the sake of future joy, he stays on the cross and endures the pain. All of his life, he did what he did for the present joy. He was experiencing it in the moment. And some of us, you know, have, have at times felt like the, the world and the, and the pain of this world and the tragedies uh, that, are, that we're experiencing in our life are so overwhelming that there's no way that we can find joy. And I, th- I love the fact that Jesus has experienced that as our high priest. And we can go to him and say, what do we do in a time whenever life seems to be overwhelming us? It seems like nothing is coming together and everybody's against me. Our or circumstances are overwhelming. What do I do in that? We have a high priest who has experienced that. And what he can say to us is the God that took care of you every day in your life, the God that gave you joy every moment of your life prior to this tragedy is still in the tragedy working and waiting to give you joy after. There's joy after the tragedy. And the resurrection, resurrection Sunday is about that. It's about the joy that Jesus has after the crucifixion. Jesus experienced the need to look forward in faith to what the Father would do. And he becomes the founder of our faith. You know, for all the things that Jesus uh, didn't have that was human... It seems like, you know, never sinned, never experienced the disappointment of God. He needed to experience the absence of the presence of the Father in order to relate to us. So that we could trust in him for that. He is present with us and, and he stayed on the cross because of this. He endured the pain because of the joy that was set before him. The joy that was going to come. The joy that would come on Resurrection Sunday. The joy that you can experience today because Christ rose from the dead. What kind of joy is that? Well, let's look at it. Jesus' joy. What kind of joy was he talking about? First of all, he's talking about the joy as Jesus hung on the cross, feeling separated from the Father, with all the power and all the possibility of coming off of the cross, of calling angels to, to pull him from the cross and to save him. He stayed on the cross for this kind of joy, the kind of joy that that he thought, I believe, while he was on the cross was was thinking, I'm going to bring many sons and daughters to the Father. There are many that are going to go to the Father because I'm staying on the cross. And the joy that Christ had in the thought that you and I would be brought to the Father if he would stay on the cross and sacrifice his life. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified. All have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus wanted to bring many sons and daughters to glory. He's providing a means by which we could escape the horror of the one moment of life that he felt on the cross not the horror of the pain that he was experiencing physically but the horror of being separated from the father for just a few seconds or a few minutes of his life that jesus stayed on the cross thinking i'm going to bring many sons and daughters to the point uh, in this world to the point where they don't have to experience this for their whole lives we have such a small taste of what it's like to live in the glory of God. And we're, we're learning and we're growing in that. The more that we obey God and he reveals himself to us, we're experiencing more of his glory every day in our, in our own lives. And we're coming to know him by experience. But we see so little. Can you imagine Jesus having left glory? having left that perfection and coming to the earth and and becoming a man and living a perfect life on the earth and experiencing his father in this realm. And from the cross, he's thinking, I don't want anybody to ever experience what I'm experiencing in these few moments of separation from the father. I don't want anybody to ever have to experience that ever again in their lives, but definitely not for their whole lives. And for the sake of mankind, he dies on the cross so that he could bring us joy so that we could have the joy with him. And his joy was in us while he was on the cross. Jesus' joy, the joy that was waiting for him after the cross, was a joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory. In John chapter 17, we see this also in the prayer of Jesus prior to his crucifixion. This is what he prays. Listen how beautiful. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you First of all, he says in that, it's in, it's in his mind, it's on his mind prior to his crucifixion. It's the prayer that he prays to Jesus, I mean, to the Father. We know that it's on his mind as he's on the cross and he's suffering, that there's joy that would come to the whole world, to all, because Jesus was given the, the power to give eternal life to all who would believe in him. So he has us in his mind. He wants to take joy in us. He wants to give us his joy. And so he stays on the cross for the joy of bringing others, many sons and daughters to him, you and me. He stayed on the cross for us. The second thing in this passage, in, in his prayer, he also says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Can you imagine Jesus <laughs> leaving heaven, which he did? It's very clear that he left heaven in philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11 it says have this mind in your, among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god something to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So one of the things that he's obviously got in mind as he's hanging on the cross is returning to the Father. The joy that's set before him, I'll stay on the cross accomplishing the Father's work but the joy that I'm, that's on my mind as I'm hanging on the cross, as I'm suffering in agony, and as I'm experiencing the, what feels like the rejection of the Father, and I'm taking on the sins of the world, is that I'm going to go back to the Father, being able to say, Father, we've accomplished the work that we had planned to do before the world began. And when I, the, the, the glory that he had with the Father and the joy that he had in the presence of the Father without, without having to deal with all the limitations of the flesh on the earth and all the temptations and the, and the sin that exists all around him in the world, now he would never have to experience that again. He would be in the presence of the Father. So the joy that was set before him that kept him on the cross was not only the fact that he would bring many sons and daughters to God, but also that he would be in the presence of God again a way out of this world, not living with the limitations of the, the body that he was experiencing in the world, not living with the the constant temptations and the frustrations and the anger and the bitterness of people and the limited uh, even beauty that the world had before sin entered into the world, that he would go back to be with the Father. Now, what does that mean for us? I believe he also sat on the cross and thinking or hung on the cross thinking I'm going to stay here because I'm going to bring many sons and daughters with me. And we're going to be together, adopted sons and daughters, in the presence of God, out of this physical world, out of all the pain and suffering, out of all of the temptations that the flesh constantly brings against the spirit that lives inside of us. We'll be out of this world. And Jesus, as he hung on the cross and suffered, and, and experienced the, the agony and the horror of his father turning his back, or his father's, uh, what felt like his father turning his back on him. He stayed there, knowing and thinking, I'll be with the father again. He had prayed it in his prayer. Father, I'm, I look forward to being with you in your glory again, the way we were before the world began. I believe Jesus took joy in that. He took joy in the fact that He would be with the Father and He would bring us to the Father. And then also, I believe that He took joy in the fact that He was providing a means for us to abide in the Father and continue to be filled with joy and to continue to bring joy to the Father. I love John 15, verses 8 through 11 in the final hours that Jesus had with his disciples. All this is prior to the cross. There's no way that you can convince me that these things were not on the mind of Christ when he was hanging on the cross and feeling rejected by the Father and, and suffering excruciating pain and dying for, for us on the cross. You can't tell me that these things were not in his mind. These are the last things that he says prior to his death. And one of the last things he says to his disciples is he goes through the whole scenario of abiding in him. And basically, in its context, you know what it says. He says, "If you, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you abide in me, which by definition, according to John's gospel and the epistles, is simply obey what I say. If you do what I tell you, then I will reveal myself to you. Jesus was saying to us, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I'm going away, but don't be troubled. The Holy Spirit's coming. It's better for you that I go away because he will come and live in you and will reveal to you moment by moment how to live life. As you obey him, you will see me. You will know me. You will see God-exclusive activity going on in your life, just like the patriarchs of old. You will see me. I'll be in you, and I'll be working through you, and you're going to know me by experience, not just by studying the book and hearing what people say. You're going to know me as I live my life in you and through you. Jesus just told them all of that. Why did he say that? Why did he take the time in his last hours with the disciples to, to have this teaching that was so different than anything they'd ever heard before? Why did he take the time to unfold that to them? Why do you take the time to go back and say, This is what the patriarchs did. This is what I've done with you. And now, this is what you're going to do with the Holy Spirit when He comes. Why? He tells us why in verse 8 through 11 of chapter 15. Here's what He says By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove yourself to be my disciples. Here, listen, this is it. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why is he telling us this? Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full or complete. When we are filled with the joy of the glory of God, God is filled with joy. This passage is not saying that some by some uh, supernatural experience, God is going to transfuse his joy into us, and all of a sudden we're going to feel different. He's not saying it's, it's not a God's, God, when he says, my joy will be in you, he's not saying, I'm going to put my joy in you. This passage is saying, what he's saying here, the, the reference is that he is the one having joy. I am going to take joy in you. You want to know what makes God happy, what brings joy to the heart of God? It's whenever we come to know him and see him for who he is. That's it. When we get to know God by experience, that's what brings joy to him. He says, I will take joy in you and also your joy will be complete. That joy that you've been looking for all of your life, when Jesus hung on the cross and and for the joy that was set before him, he stayed on the cross even though he felt abandoned by his father and rejected and suffered a horrific death as he hung there. The reason why he stayed is for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is found in John 15. It was that you would walk in him. It was that you would abide in him. Is that you would see his glory in your own life as you obeyed what he said. That's what he died for. That's what kept him on the cross. It wasn't that so that we could argue about theology, or we could uh, get a, get us a bunch of things happening that make us look good or gain some kind of status as churches in the in the world. It had nothing to do with us in that way. It had everything to do with us knowing the Father, with us seeing who He really is, and what's happened for all of us to some degree is that our religious experiences and and our religious preferences and our fights and our theology and our doctrine and all the things that have divided us from one another have also stopped us from seeing who God is. And it stops our community from seeing who he is. And God just wants us to find joy in him. When I opened up the truth about God's righteousness being given to this young man as a gift on Friday, he put his hands in his face and said, I, you're blowing my mind. He saw truth for the first time. He saw the truth that we talked about last week, that there's nothing that he could do to deserve any favor from God or a right relationship with God, but it was a free gift of God. And when he saw it, it blew his mind. And when Jesus hung on the cross, that's what he had in mind, was that we would come to know him by experience through obedience and see how awesome he is and be blown away by that, not be drawn away from one another because of our belief in Christ, but that we would be drawn to each other because of the love that he has for us. His joy is in us. Christ takes joy in our joy. When our joy is complete, then his joy is complete. So here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. Our joy, our final joy is going to be experienced when we leave this world just like Jesus did. And we need to have joy, future joy. We need to be thinking about the, the time, the day whenever we're going to leave this world because the joy that we're experiencing right now as we continue to grow in that is only a taste of what God has for us when we're in God's presence we're there with Jesus, seated with the Father. But look at what he says in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be... Oh, just That's not the right verse. And I don't have that with me. Somebody, Bill, read that for me. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. You don't have your Bible? Here you go. Thank you. All right. Did you hear what he said? You, you have joy now because you trust him and you know him. But there's a day coming when that joy and that understanding of God will be undefiled. It will not be defiled by all of your ideas and all of the world's ideas and all these thoughts and, and our sin that dwells in our bodies, waging war against our minds from day to day. All that will be gone. There will be a day when there's an Believable, undefiled joy that we're going to have when we get to be with Christ and we get to be out of this world. And Paul talks about that man. He says, "I would that I could be out of this body and be be in my have my heavenly body now, so I could know Him." Paul wanted to be with God. He wants, and the 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 more that you grow to understand the beauty of who God is, the more joy you're going to have in this life. But also, the more. <laughs> the more you're going to be frustrated with the limitations of your flesh. The more you're going to want to be absent from this body and be present with the Lord. And not in a way that says, oh, this body hurts me. I'm, you know, I wish I could get out of this body. Not that. Absent from this body, that constant, this body of sin, this body of death. Everything about you, those of you who are believers, everything about you has already been transformed except for your physical body. But one day you'll get a resurrected body. And that's the day when that joy will be complete. And so, in summary, here's what we're saying today. When Jesus hung on the cross, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that as he hung there, he stayed on the cross. Even though he felt rejected by the Father. Even though there was a, there was a moment when he took our sins on himself, that he, for the first time in his life, felt like he was rejected and turned, the Father turned his back on on him and turned his face away in the horror of that moment in the horror of the pain and agony that he felt on the cross he stayed for the joy that was set before him the joy that he would experience in seeing sons and daughters you guys putting your faith in in Christ and having a means of being put back together with the father through the blood of Jesus on the cross that was shed on the cross that blood that was shed for you that blood that that the prophet Isaiah said all of us uh, like sheep have gone astray and each of us turned to our own way but God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when God laid our iniquity on him God in turn said I will put the righteousness of Christ on you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him to become sin for us that so we could be made the righteousness of God in him. So God looks at us and sees perfect. We're not. Except that God looks at him instead of us. Imputed righteousness given to us, something we don't deserve. While we were sinners in rebellion against God, he died for us and gave it to us. Why? Because he knew there's a future joy, and I'm going to bring many sons and daughters to the Father. I'm going to bring many sons and daughters to eternal life. He did it for the joy, the joy that he knew would be his whenever he would be back into the presence of God. That he would leave this world and be in, in the presence of God. But not only that, but that he could bring you to a point of, the, while you're in this world, that you would live under kingdom principles where you would walk in obedience to Christ and he would constantly reveal more of himself to you. And where he would challenge your faith day in and day out. The author and the finisher of our faith, he, he operated in faith on the cross when he couldn't see the end and he, he knew that there would be joy there because of the Father. He knew the Father. In that same way, he's the perfecter of our faith he He gives us faith and shows us how to and increases our faith as we walk with him day in and day out, giving us a means by which we could come to know him, that he would reveal himself to us through our obedience and so we, at the gathering place are all about abiding because that's what that is it's not a random truth; it is the thing that brings joy that Jesus said. I've told you these things, that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made complete. And then ultimately that he could see a picture of us with him in heaven, experiencing the the perfect glory of God and having complete joy. The joy that he has with the Father, that we could see that and have that. Now we look through a glass dimly, but then we will see him face to face and everything will change. We're all going to be, our minds are going to be blown. The greatest, uh, the, the person that's closest to God, I want to start to say greatest theologian because that's not it. But the person that's closest to God on this earth that has loved God the most and has inc- incredible joy on the earth, when he steps into heaven in the presence of the Father, he's going to go like, What? We don't have any idea what it was that drove Jesus to do what he did. And we're all going to be blown away. But while we're on the earth, let's experience as much joy as we can, right? Let's abide in Christ. Let's experience his joy. Let's walk with him because that's what he died for. So this week, as you think about the resurrection, think about this. Christ on the cross, seeing the joy that the resurrection would bring. He's alive, and so we can have life. We can have his spirit living inside of us. We can walk in the spirit. We can come to know God by experience as we do that. And we can be with him in eternity when we die. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, we see today the truth that joy comes from knowing God in his glory. And seeing and understanding the truth about God and living a life of faith. And the unchanging character of God is what the Christian life is about. It is what Easter is about. It is why Jesus endured the cross. It's why Jesus stayed on the cross. So that sin would not be able to rob us of pure joy. Which in turn brings you joy. Lord, I'm so thankful today that you find joy when, in us when we find our joy in you you find joy in us when we find our joy in you. And in in a moment, Lord, we we see the desperation of Jesus on the cross, thinking maybe, feeling for one moment what it would be like to to walk without seeing your glory. And in, in a desperate moment, he stays on the cross thinking that he would never want us to experience a life where we just walk through life and never get to experience the beauty of who you are, he couldn't fathom that on the cross. He stayed there that we could have joy. And so, Father, I pray that you will teach us as a body to abide in you, that we will be more committed to that, to abide, to to see your glory, and to be transformed by it. I pray that that kind of reality would be so fresh to us that we would never find ourselves arguing over doctrine and theology and over what is truth but instead that we would be able to just shine God with the light of the glory of God that we would just be people would be overwhelmed with how much we love you and then God that you would produce the fruit through us that would draw people to yourself so many of us God have missed through the years the truth of who you are and we don't want our community to miss that so reveal yourself to us first of all and then through us pray for resurrection power to be revealed in the lives of our people and that we would bring joy to you this week let us start right now in our hearts as we pray to you as we worship father let us uh, consider those areas where we're not being obedient and And, Father, where we've allowed the enemy to rob us of our own joy. Father, help us to commit those things to you today and this week. In Jesus' name.